One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my friends, and a big, big welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's with me, Jeremy Carr, you lucky people. You would talk, of course, on TV, radio, online, and we are on your smart speaker. Coming up tonight, my friends, the, the government declares enough is enough and announces a new five-point plan to slash migration. Sneaky Snowby caught out, of course he was, as his agent reveals the two alleged royal racists were indeed sent in the original draft. Plus, as new figures out today suggest that the UK has now seen 15 years of relative decline, Talk TV gets a first-hand perspective as we visit Britain's poorest town. Somebody wrote this. Roll up, roll up. I'm here for one day only as your interim leader of the Independent Republic and I come, my friends, bearing news that finally the government has decided they've found a way to fight our addiction to cheap foreign labour. They've got to work on the Rwanda scheme too and we can find out during the show what plan Fishy Rishi Dishy Rishi has got up his sleeve. Meanwhile, this is brilliant, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer seems to be turning blue and not because of what he might or might not have been watching online, I wrote that. He's been bigging up Thatcher and confessing his obsession with economic growth. Keir, mate, I know you're probably not watching. I think you might be in the wrong party. Plus, the royal racist row is rumbling on. As it turns out, the Charles and Kate were indeed named in the draft manuscript sent to be printed in Dutch. So, has Omid Scobie, that revolting human being, apologised? Of course he has, because he's loving the attention. But all of that might be happening. And what are we worried about in the UK? The cold snaps created dangerous conditions in the north. We'll find out what's in store next. Maybe move south. And this is the big news. I'll be taking your calls. I want to hear from you, the people who listen to this amazing programme and watch it. What matters to you on this show? And, and just because I'm here for one night only, I'm going to, as a bonus, add some sex noises, which were at the Euro 24 uh, draw yesterday. It is after the watershed. More of that, my friends, coming up. So you can get in touch as ever with the show, all the socials at Talk TV, and you can call us on the phones. There's a little man in a room somewhere on the 17th floor, sat there, ready and waiting. 0344-499-1000. Calls cost the national rate. No truth that we get the money. Just make that call. 0344-499-1000. I want to know, do you trust the Tories to bring down net migration? We did a survey and about 93% of you said no. Do you trust them? 0344-499-1000. It's your show, I want to hear from you. But let's start tonight with that good news. That's what I've heard written on the screen. Our broken migration system, my friends, is set to be overruled at last. The government unveiled new plans calling on three main measures to crack down on the causes of the problem. Look at this. They spent money on this first... You need to be earning 35 grand here to work legally. That's up from 26 grand, which is, by the way, roughly, nice, the average UK wage. 
Secondly, an overhaul of the shortage occupation list that lets employers get away with paying foreign workers 20% below the going rate. Uh, one of these sectors is dancing. I know, it's rap. Swivel. Third, cutting back on visas for people working in health and social care. The number of dependents these workers can bring in is going to be limited too. Now, legal migration, as you'll know, hit an eye-watering 745,000 by the end of last year. And almost all of those people came here because of our legal system, because it's rubbish and it allows it. But there's no end to the people coming here illegally either. Despite the recent cold weather, more than a thousand crossed the channel in the last five days. Sunak's full of plans, isn't he? I'm going to deal with that too. I've got a watertight revamp of the Rwanda scheme. You know that scheme that's cost 140 million quid will only deal with 500 people. So what's he doing? He's sending the new home sec, James Cleverly, off to Africa to apparently sort the whole thing out. And he's expected to sign off sending Rwanda millions more money. Money, our money, by the way. But a bunch of British lawyers could also be sent to work in the Rwandan courts too to discuss this. And, my God, have I got a show for you tonight. We'll start with the director of Migration Watch, Mike Jones. Mikey, thanks for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Um, Dishy Rishi, to me, and I could be missing the point, is, is throwing stuff out every single day, where however many months we are from an election. Um, I don't think anybody has any trust in Rwanda. Do you trust this? Can he make a difference? Is this the answer? Uh, possibly. Um, the UK uh, constitution does allow the British government to cir circumnavigate decisions made by courts through Parliament. So that's completely possible. Can I see it, please? But, but um, it, it rather begs the question, why didn't they reform the legal system from scratch in the first place to allow... Uh, people to be detained and deported who arrived here illegally. Um, th that rather begs the question. Mikey, um, listen, a few technical issues. That'll make a change here, won't it? Um, can I just ask you a question, right? Here's a man, right, who, who knows there are 170,000 people, OK, waiting to be processed. Here's a man who knows that we are, what, 12 months max to a general election, right? Is this really the best thing that he's got? Because we all know it isn't going to be implemented in time and we can talk about we're going to stop this and we're going to do that, but the reality is this. Can he actually stop the boats? Can he bring that figure down? Because I haven't heard anybody say that he can. Well, certainly he can bring... Uh, well, he has brought the number of uh, Albanian irregular migrants down, but, but ultimately the, the question hinges on the principle of non-refoulement. So it, it's very, very difficult to deport people here um, where this may come a cropper with the Human Rights Act and the embeddedness of the European Convention of Human Rights Let's and British law. Let's Mike, because I'm a busy man. Do you think this can work, yes or no? Um, I'm sceptical. What would you do if you were Rishi Sunak? Well, I, I would have looked at the entire legal system. Uh, I would have looked at laws that prevent uh, the British state from detaining and deporting people uh, who arrived here irregularly. I would have also negotiated a returns policy with the European Union during the uh, Brexit negotiations, but obviously that didn't happen. Do you think that Brexit has had an impact on this? Do you think Europe's paying us back for leaving? 
Um, I wouldn't want to speculate on motives, but uh, I, I don't think we should have relied on the good nature of the French. The good to... nature of the French? I'm only here for one night. What are you talking about, man? Come on, crack on. The good nature of the French? We're giving them 500 million quid and they're taking the mickey. We pick people up from French waters and bring them back to the United Kingdom, Mike. Come on. I agree. Um, they have a very lax interpretation of international law. Yeah. Um, particularly with the laws of the sea and Solas. And they're chaperoning people to the midpoint in the channel. And this is absolutely... Um, Disgusting and disgraceful. Next question, Mike, because I'm only here for two hours, mate. We need to quicken this up a bit. Do you really think that English lawyers are going to go to Rwanda? I mean, the immigration laws like a few quid, don't they? But do you think they're actually going to go to... Because I thought all the lefty lawyers thought that Rwanda wasn't a safe country, so why would they be out there working? Or am I missing the point? Well, the, the, the purpose is um, to ensure that the asylum processing system there is consistent. Right with uh, British law, but uh, whether it's going to work or not, I have, I have absolutely no idea. That's what we want. A guest who's got no idea. Mike, thank you very much indeed. A pleasure to have you on. Eight minutes past nine. Gee, man, what's going on? I'm bringing a panel on. You know, I've, I brought this lot with me. I mean, look at them. A cobbled together bunch. Benedict Spencer, very good evening. Hello, how Rebecca are you? Hudson, <laughs> looking as beautiful at nine o'clock at night as you do at four o'clock in the morning. Thank you very Emma much. Emma Wolf, good evening. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, no disrespect to Mike, but can we crank this up a little bit, please? Let's cut to the chase, right? I mean, you all know what I think. We've got 170,000 people on a waiting list. If Rwanda takes off anyway, oh, it's going to save, what, 500? Benedict, this mm. is all about electioneering, isn't it? it because is. you have said to me on countless occasions, this can't work. It is. It doesn't work. It's too small a number. We have to let other people come in from Rwanda as part of it. It was always a deal based effectively on the policies of a foreign government, effectively therefore deciding a British policy. Uh, just the very idea of that is just bonkers to me. You know, a first world country saying to a third world country, guys, it's all on you and we'll just have to go along with it. And then have your own Supreme Court come back and say, no, you can't do that. That's fundamentally ludicrous. Exactly. And then you go back to the Rwandans and you go, please, please correspond with our laws because otherwise we'll look even more foolish. Um, and why doesn't say, he, why doesn't Sunak, I said it this morning on Breakfast, Rebecca, why doesn't he stand up and say, listen, it's, it's not going to work. And, and, and I know being elected again means that I shouldn't make promises, but I'm going to be the first politician in British history to stand up and say, right, Rwanda's gone, it's a complete disaster, the Home Office isn't fit for purpose, I'm going to spend what remaining time I've got in power trying to turn the Home Office into creating a system that works for a, a situation that is doing all of our heads in, right? It just demonstrates how inept he is. He's surrounded by an inept team, whether it's Suella Bravman or James... He's got Cleverly. Lord Cameron back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to him. Great to get a second go at the gig. But he hasn't... He's surrounded... By, there's been a brain-drain in government. There's no good ideas. And they are just rabid culture warists. That's the only thing Rishi Sunak is capable of, whether it's snubbing the Greeks over the Elgin marbles that no-one cares about. Don't start me on that. Whether it's, it's not on it's my list. I don't want the Elgin marbles. They can have Stonehenge. I'm not bothered. <laughs> Stonehenge is a disgrace. No, exactly, that can go. Exactly. He just wants to redraw political debate around kind of culture war red yeah. meat subjects because he hasn't got a clue. And that's... that demonstrates why we are pursuing Rwanda. Good money after bad. But that's the point, isn't it, Emma? It, good money after bad. Bex is right, 140 million quid. Even if this works, 
It's 500 from 170,000. Okay, even if this... He just needs to drop it right now. He <laughs> but he won't, stop, mate. He needs to stop wasting taxpayers' money. He needs to stop treating the British public like fools. That's the, that's the most insulting thing about all this. It's ludicrous. As you say, 140 million. Oh, now we're going to throw another 15 million. It's going to cost nearly 200 million for a total... Failure. So if, if you go with the, the premise that... Jeremy, my toddler, your toddler could tell him this is a complete joke and they could design a better policy. How old's your toddler? Three and a half. Does know where we're wondering. Three and a half. What? Does your toddler know where we're What's happened to your moustache? I know. I it's... feel like I've been in another world. It's Where's December. He gone? It's December. Uh -huh. Everything has changed. Oh, right. Well, world is upside down. I'm saying I've gone from toddlers to moustaches. Yeah. Um, Age very quickly. On a serious note, mm. is this because politicians cannot, because of electoral concerns mm. ever look beyond a But they certain... do U-turn. They do, you know, you're saying they, they shouldn't ever no, go back on a policy that they've nailed say, their colours to. I can't I stop messed the up. Hopes. I can't bring these numbers down. It takes more than a few months. I don't I'm not going to give you I don't know what to do. expensive well, gimmicks. I'm going to give you damn honesty. Partly, partly the problem with that is that the Conservative Party has run itself on the idea, although it has told people that it doesn't do this, it believes full, uh, full well that actually what we need is immigration to undercut wages to uh, provide a sort of a, a cast of people to do work that they believe that a lot of other people won't do. And by suppressing wages, that keeps inflation down, it keeps things competitive. They think that that is fundamentally a good thing. But actually, what Mike Jones said is right. If you wanted to change this system, you would have to fundamentally uproot the law. You'd probably have to consider taking us out of the, uh, the ECHR. Good. And this is the sort of thing, but this is the problem. The Tory party is not in agreement on this. Then you'd have another internal conflict, not unlike Brexit, within the Conservative Party, 12 months, 18 months until an election, they would just tear each other apart, nothing would get done, and they would leave office under the guise of, these people are even more inept than we thought they were to, be to begin with. So right now, you're right, this is electioneering. This is trying, trying to have a semblance of a policy that they agree on, rather than look like they're still at each other's throat. Rebecca, the, the thing that always gets me is, is, is this, this belief that, you know, if we try and deal with this, let's talk about the ECHR. I know you've got very strong feelings about this. I mean, this was a, uh, an agreement that was, was created many, many moons ago. There's an argument that says it's not fit for purpose today. I mean, most things in this country aren't fit for purpose. The NHS, the, the health... I mean, all sorts of things. But, but what is... You know, I mean, I have it said to me all the time by, by you and your ilk, and I don't mean that in the bad way. You know, I mean, how would we look in the world if we left the ECHR? Oh, Belarus and Russia have left. Why don't you ask the British people why they are so fed up with migration and immigration in its entirety? That's my issue. And I, I think we've all agreed, you know, the numbers, the numbers are ridiculous. The amount of people putting their lives at risk in one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world, day in, day out, is appalling. I don't think anyone wants it in their name, regardless of what side of the debate you come down on. But wh where, is the, wh where is the plan? And I don't think many British people would take much pride in withdrawing from international treaties that are there to protect I the world's most vulnerable. Protect and that the world's no, most not, vulnerable? What about not... the United Kingdom and the people of this but, country but the who are two, struggling? But, it sh but it sh we shouldn't be at a situation where the only way we can remedy this problem is by shipping people off to the, th to the developing world to, you know, to live in an no, unstable country. Do you know what? It's not here. No, by stopping them from coming here. And I think you, may, you raise a really, really fundamental point, which is the democratic imperative, which is that people vote again and again and again mm. to control immigration and migration, and we are ignoring that. I and don't that, understand why there is And when the no mainstream a... party will respond to that, 
That's why you get people voting for reform and for more extreme parties. Never heard of them. <laughs> I think it's important to say, when people talk about what is our reputation on the international stage, let's say Italy withdrew from the ECHR tomorrow, would that stop people going on holiday? No. Or, it wouldn't, exactly. No. People actually don't care. Does anybody general, come on holiday the, here? No. The general publics of other countries do not care about that sort of thing. But ultimately... I don't know why that's... I mean, I respect the fact that we, I want all sorts of opinions, but I don't quite understand how you get away with going, you know what, the thing is, it wouldn't make us look good. When are we going to get to a point, which might not, uh, you know, go down too well with certain people, where we concern ourselves with the British people yeah. and the problems British, that, and that we have damn well got, instead make, of always it, trying to be this, all, this, this place that does the right yeah, thing. Yeah, but it shouldn't require us withdrawing from an international treaty. If it that, stops us doing what's yeah, right, we should. Be able, we should be able to remedy our immigration problem without having to do that. It How would you remedy it? How would you remedy it? You stem the flows. We stabilise countries where people want to flee. You Ooh, intervening. You, you help. Oh, good you help back. That, that sounds, a, that sounds exciting. International aid. So we have you to fix process, other people's you problems. Do you hear that, lads? We're going back into Iraq. You process. <laughs> maybe I could finish. You process the backlog quicker. You deal. You have returns deals with people across the EU and across the world. There are really obvious things we can do. Let's take that point because I'm going to stick up for you. Albania. We, we know this uh, some two years ago. Albanian male migrants made up the highest percentage of prisoners, foreign prisoners in UK jails. It's a disgrace. Now, mm. Sunak met the very tall bloke. He looked ridiculous, didn't he? He was about eight foot, Sunak's about three foot. Mm. They did a deal with Albania. Why can't the British government, as a suggestion, in terms of what Rebecca said, get more proactive and make more agreements, return agreements with other countries, rather than sitting there going, we're going to send them to Rwanda? Well, 500 of them. Why can't they do that? Well, why can't they? That would Why be don't that, they? That, that, Why don't they? Okay, well, first and foremost, it's in the interests of a lot of those countries to export lots of people to this country. They actually don't necessarily want an agreement where we can just say, go on back. But the thing is, actually, you don't need an agreement with a country that you have diplomatic relations with. You know, Albania is not going to shoot a passenger jet out of the sky. Neither is India, neither of any of these countries, actually, where the majority of these people come from. Actually, you can do what the Blair government did, because it is within our power to do this, and you just deport them. The Blair government deported 10 times as many people per year as this government then does. Then why don't we? Why because don't we? we don't want because, to. No, Ultimately, because the, that's the system, we don't, want we don't to. process people. Like, the fact that we had so many Albanian males arriving on the shores who, who didn't qualify for uh, asylum or refugee status is because we didn't process anyone. But I don't people. understand that. Listen, this has just dropped. You've got it in front of Front page of the mail. I mean, the, the Metro, I should say. Tories fight net migration crisis. Rishi raises the bard. Uh, if you earn 36 or no visa, as PM increases salary threshold, we've done all that. Far too technical for me. I want to know from the three of you before before we go to a break, how important, Emma Wolf, is immigration? How important will it be in the next general it's election? Because huge... I am sick and tired of just people talking about it without something, just some contingency, some plan. This isn't a plan, man. This no, is this dressing. isn't a plan. This is some, this is they need to be seen to be doing something. But uh, no, immigration is going to be a huge oh, electoral right. issue, and they are panicking and desperate, and they're realizing now how much it matters and how out of control the situation is. And this plan from, you know, James Cleverly, who is a, clearly an intelligent man... Doesn't like stuff. It's not even worth the paper it's written on. Uh, listen, we, Rebecca, we, we did a survey um, on the, um, the show. Can the Tories be trusted to finally start our immigration? Only 7% of you... Don't know how many voted. Probably 7. 7%, <laughs> I'm joking. 7% of you said yes, 93% no. Some comments for you. Highgate, is that where he lives or his name? It's ludicrous. I think the word trust is a no-go area when it comes to politicians. Also, if Labour were in government, immigration would be 10 times higher. Sherry. 
Is that her tree or her name? I don't know. The problem is not immigration as such. It exists in all countries. The problem is the government completely lost control over the illegal immigration and over immigration law violations. The real problem here is a complete collapse of law enforcement. Rebecca? Yeah, Hudson? totally. I mean, we've had this... They're undoing a policy that they implemented. This is what happens if 13 years of Tory chaos results in. They end up scrabbling around for a policy. Well, None listen, of you're not going to get it easy tonight because your leaders decided to talk about Thatcher, mate. You're, you're in real <laughs> trouble, <laughs> you? love you? Thatcher. You were I might love me. Thatcher, but I don't know what he's trying to do rather than get to number 10 ASAP. Mm. Ben? I think, uh, when it, I think when it comes... <laughs> comes to the immigration, I mean, we all like to say it's the illegal immigration, but actually it's the legal immigration exactly. problem. Because it's not 750,000 people, it is 1.2 million people. It's How would you stop number. it then at expense How quickly? do you stop it? Ultimately, I think that this is a good start, increasing the... Do? I do think increasing the, the, the amount of money that you have to be earning, but also we do need to bear in mind that it involves things like shutting off routes for dependents when it comes to things like foreign students. That is being abused to the ends of the earth. And actually, it does require us getting tough and say, actually, no, we do not have a responsibility to bring everybody and their families in. I'd like to throw something out there. I've said this before before on breakfast, people look at me like I've landed from Mars. This is what I don't get. We need all these people, apparently, to fill jobs. Why don't we get the people who aren't disabled or mentally ill, before you start on me, to actually get off their backsides and train them to do the jobs that are apparently available? No, no, let's let the... the my, I don't get that I never have. What do you think? Go three. Uh, double four. Uh, four double nine one thousand. Oh three double four. Four double nine one thousand. Talk today at talk.tv. And you can text. You really can text eight seven treble two. Start your message with the word talk. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm Matt Jeremy Carr, by the way. I'm here for one night only. Coming next, has Sneaky Scobie finally been caught out? Plus... What? The heat ramps up to strip Meghan and Harry of their royal titles. I heard the word strip and got excited. This time, it's a Tory MP. Don't go anywhere. Come back to me. We're only here one night. We're back in three. Ta-ra. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. No, it's not Mike Graham. It's Jeremy Carl. He's winging his way back from the United States. And you lucky people, you've only got to put up with me for one night. Now, listen, we've been talking about that revolting human being, Obed Scobie's book. And today, more about this. Apparently, the Dutch publisher of Endgame was sent, yes, underlined was, a draft version naming the royals at the centre of the race rail. Scobie or Scooby, as I call him, has repeatedly denied naming Princess Catherine and King Charles as the two senior members of the family who raised concerns about the skin colour of Harry and Meghan's first child, Archie. But it doesn't end there. Tory MP Bob Seeley, who everybody's tried to get hold of today, but he's been busy, is now looking to change a law which could strip, yes, strip the Duke and Duchess of their titles. Joining me to discuss this, along with a shortened panel, because Emma Wolfe has gone home for a bath, uh, all the latest lines that are die for uh, daily podcast host, my good friend, she's still up. We were working together 20 hours ago. Kinsey Schofield in the building and... All the way from Sussex, looking, no, Suffolk, I should say, looking, I suspect, rather wonderful this evening. Former Royal Correspondent Michael Cole. Welcome both. How are we? Very good. well indeed, Jeremy. Good evening. And good evening, Kinsey. Uh, thanks for being on the show, because if you hadn't, I'd be here on my own. Uh, can we cut to the chase? So here's how I see it, Kins. Um, this, I'm going to call him, I'm not going to call him what I want to call him, uh, wrote this book, um, and then it was very, very shocking, because it turned out to be in Holland, in, in Dutchland, where these two people were named. Piers, I thought, did an astonishingly correct thing the other day in terms of journalism, named them, the world went nuts. Uh, Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo, as I call him, went on this morning and went, I don't know how that happened. I don't, I don't know, Megan, I don't know how that happened. Turns <laughs> out that two women who worked in the publishing company went, no, there was a script. And today, even better, the agent for Scooby-Doo actually has come out and said, yes, we sent the script. This man's taking the Michael, isn't he, Kinsey Schofield? 
Well, you know, just look at his social media activity in the no. last 24 hours. He's back in Los Angeles, California. He's at, you know, these posh hotels. He's enjoying all of this attention, Jeremy. I think his ultimate objective was fame and celebrity. He didn't care who he had to run over. And this is my personal opinion. Legals taught me well. Uh, I think he's <laughs> running over whoever he needs to to achieve what he wants, and that's to become a celebrity in his own right. His book has dropped specifically in the UK, but below the top 100. Uh, can I so just do this? You've stolen my thunder. We know why he's in LA, to get his eyebrows made even bigger. His book has <laughs> dropped out of the Amazon top 100. <laughs> there, mate, that's what happens when you're revolting. Michael Cole, this bloke to me, and I'm, I'm not trying to... I mean, it was such a publicity stunt. I remember with Spare, there was that story about Spain, wasn't there? And then suddenly, in one country, these names appear. This has got, I don't yeah. know what anybody says, this has got Meghan and Harry's fingerprints all over it, hasn't it? Jeremy, oh, what a tangled web we weave <laughs> when first we practice to deceive. Mm. The tectonic plates under this story are moving all the time. And as you say, now his UK agent has said, yes, we sent over an early manuscript of this great book, and in it, those names were written. Uh, but Mr. Scobie says, I never, ever wrote the names, which we now know, thanks to Piers, uh, to be the king and uh, the, the princess of Wales. It is uh, a dreadful thing. It is an awful, uh, appalling thing to play the race card. You can take a cheap trick with it, but it's very cruel to those people who will find it very, very difficult to answer such a pernicious charge because it's easy to make, but it's extremely difficult to refute because you have to prove mm. a negative. And that's why it's so unfair. I went around this country, around the world, with uh, the king when he was Prince of Wales. And if there's anybody in the world who's done more mm. uh, to bring about inclusion uh, in the Commonwealth of uh, 56 very different countries and within this country, which is increasingly diverse in terms of culture and ethnicity, I don't know who it is. He's devoted his life to that uh, and he's done extraordinarily well. So that makes it doubly cruel to make this charge. Difficult to see though, uh, what Buckingham Palace can do. Well, I want to uh, put this to you, Michael, because I was talking about this this morning and we've asked tonight on the show, should King Charles address the royal race, race uh, rail scandal? 37% viewers and listeners, yes, 63 no. I'll give you my view very quickly. I, I, I initially, you know, stay calm, carry on. There are other people who say he should come out. Is the onus not on Harry and Meghan to prove that apparently they are nothing to do with this? Because here's the thing that I don't get. It, Scobie apparently doesn't know them now. They're nothing to do with it. But there was a letter that she allegedly wrote to King Charles accusing him of these things. H how did Scobie find out about that letter, Kinsey Scobie? Well, I think that's something, that's, something, that's, that's something that Prince Harry should tell us. Now, yeah. I tell you something. What he should do, if he has any residual loyalty to the family that brought him up and gave him the position that he enjoys in life, he should come out now distance himself from this appalling book mm. and repudiate its poisonous contents because, uh, of course, there's an amusing side to it, the ludicrousness of it, the absurdity of the charges, but it's also very, very serious because uh, if the taint uh, remains, if it becomes ingrained, if there are enough stupid people who think the king uh, is racist in any way, 
then that is very serious for the Crown, it's very serious for the Commonwealth. And here we see this notorious interview where Meghan there is actually voicing the fact that members of the royal family, unnamed, raised with her husband the uh, colour or skin tone of her then unborn child. And you see in a moment uh, Oprah Winfrey, who like does this amazing uh, stagey, what? She drops her Yeah, and uh, by the way, can I jump in? And as a, as a journalist, and I've always looked up to Oprah Winfrey, doesn't, doesn't challenge her on it at all. Kins, can I bring you back in? You won't know Bob Seeley any more than I do, but he's a Tory MP. He has today said that they should bring in uh, this ancient law from I don't know when, uh, the beginning of time. 1917. Thank you. see the year of your birth, Michael. Brilliant, fantastic. <laughs> and uh, Just a joke, 1834. Yes. And, and, and actually to say um, that it's about time the Sussexes were stripped. I mean, I think most people know what I think, and some people find this wrong, but I have never got, uh, and I've said it many, many times, if you hate something, and I quite admired when they went to America and said we don't want to be in the goldfish bowl, but the minute, and I will say it until I die, the minute you sell your soul for $115 million, and the only money you make is to slag off the very thing that you don't want to be part of, when you jump up and down, you say, Archie's not going to get a title. Why would Archie want a title? Because you've trashed the royal family. Is it time, Kinsey Schofield, to strip them of their titles? Well, I mean, I think um, emotionally, I feel like it is. I mm. think that um, that's just me upset over what they've done to the, the Princess of Wales, Catherine. I think that it's been wildly unfair over the last few days. And Michael's right. When they're, you have to prove, to prove a negative is such an unfair position to put them in. These, um, there's a statistic, and I wish I could give you the exact numbers, that when people hear on the news or on the internet something sensational that isn't true, um, they're more likely to hold on to that sensational headline mm. versus the follow-up that said, oh, we jumped to conclusions. That's actually not that that's actually not correct. And that's, uh, you know, that's unfair for them to put them in this position. They are monetizing those titles here in the United States. And I think by stripping them, they they humble them in a way and, and force them to get real jobs and real work and not continuing to, you know, be so vindictive towards the British royal family. So if the royal family would like to nip this in the bud quickly, then, then yes, they would, they would put their support behind this. Michael, 30 seconds only. Do you think, do you yeah, well, think they well, should it, be stripped? Yes or no? It, well, it is possible for the king, as an ordering council, to take away the letters, the all-important title, the honorary uh, title of HRH, his, his Royal Highness and Her Royal Highness. That can be done uh, immediately. That's what happened with Diana on the very moment uh, that she became divorced. So it is possible. Uh, this MP wants to take away their dukedoms. Uh, that is more problematical based on a 1917 act that was to remove the titles of Germans, including the Kaiser, who had British titles. So we'll have to see. I don't think there is a legal route that the uh, royal family will go down, but, but they may do, because it's a very serious matter. Uh, Michael Kinsey, thank you so much indeed. One in LA and one in Suffolk, thank you so much indeed. It's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, Benedict and, and Rebecca here with me all evening. Bex, let's start with you. Um, Enough is enough, isn't it? Seriously. Yeah, but I don't think that... I think that this is all about Omid Scobie, isn't it? This is about, I think Kinsey's right. I think this is about his big bid to become a kind of mega-celeb. And I, and I think kind of punishing Harry and Meghan, we have no idea whether they 
then they need to come out and say it because they're linked to him, Rebecca. No, but 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 we don't we don't know. And why should the before we know that they were linked? So by association, I imagine the people will think this is coming from them. If it isn't right, why don't they come out and say? We find this completely unacceptable because when she dropped that bomb on, on, on Oprah Winfrey, and I met one, I said, Oprah Winfrey's supposed to be the best interviewer in the world. She didn't follow it up, for God's sake. It stayed there. He backtracked in spare, and it's been hanging like a, a horrible, horrible thing for everybody to do. But I wonder if by addressing it, we're just kind of giving it more credibility rather than looking at this as this kind of slightly pulp fiction effort by a, a Z-list Yahoo royal correspondent who wants to be famous. And I wonder if, you know, the more attention that he gets, he must be absolutely loving this. You know, this is all... I mean, it's not quite translated into book sales, has it? As we've, as we've Dropped seen, out of you? Amazon's yeah. 100. Now, I would like yeah. to say that you grew a, a moustache for Movember for cancer. His eyebrows, <laughs> Omid Scobie's, are actually <laughs> bigger than your moustache. I know, they are pretty impressive. What do you make of this scoundrel? Ah, uh, honestly, I do think... Obviously, we need to condemn it because it is disgraceful that you just go around naming people in a foreign edition to drum up a bit, bit of publicity, which is what I suspect happened. I think everybody suspects that happened. But I do think it's completely right that the royal family actually don't address it because they're not celebrities like Omid Scrubby is trying to be or like the, uh, the Duke and Duchess are. Want attempting to be. To. That's what yeah, happens that's when what you jump in the... In yeah, the, in the they in are the not paper. actually celebrities. We talk about them a lot, but actually they play very important uh, roles within our state. That is what they are, and I think it is beneath them to address Address these allegations because do you know what I think most people don't believe them for a second. I well, let, let's do knows. that. Should King Charles address the royal race trial? Thirty-seven percent of you say yes. Sixty-three percent no. Eleni doesn't need to come out with a public statement, but he does need to take action in order to protect his family and send a clear message to others uh, and those journalists. Tom, if he addresses it, he's giving the wrong people exactly what they want. And BM, God knows what that stands for. Uh, forget addressing it. Nothing more hurtful to a narcissist than ignoring them. Do you know what? Somebody once said to me, the best way to deal with somebody like that is to cut off the oxygen. Maybe that's the answer. You're not going anywhere. I know you thought you were for 10 <laughs> minutes, Rebecca and Benedict. You're here all night. You're with the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. It's Jeremy Kyle for one night only. And coming next, it's bloody cold out there, my friends. A weather warning for all the northerners coming up. Move south. Plus, Talk TV visits Britain's poorest town. Do you know where it is? Grimsby. I'm coming back in three. And do come back with me, my friends. It will be lovely. Ta-ra. Ah, they are. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Monday night, we're live across the UK on tour. Listen, we'll drop the papers as they come in already at the front of the metro tonight. Richie raises the bar. This is his five-point plan to finally sort out migration. That's not going to happen, is it? But we'll keep you there. Uh, I'm here for one night only, lucky, lucky people. And listen, please keep getting involved with the show. Whatever you want to talk about, uh, the migration situation. I don't know, you want to talk about Starmer? I'm going to do that in a bit. He apparently today says, Margaret Thatcher was a great woman. God, he's desperate. We'll do snow in a minute. Whatever you want to talk about. And even, by the way, Euro Draw 2024. I don't know if you're aware of this. Sex noises. I've got no shame. Uh, 03 is the telephone number. Talk at, no, at Talk TV. I think you can tweet. I don't know how you do that. You can text 87222, start your message with the word talk. Now, Brits in the north, bless them, have just endured Ice Rink Monday. And this is important because millions are bracing for more treacherous condition as snow threatens to freeze overnight. In true British standard, the whole country's going to come to a grinding halt. Now, we've got Met Office warnings uh, pointing to further chaos. And this morning on breakfast, I sent the wonderful Victoria Innes to sort of Cumbria. And she's been in the thick of it. Peak District and beyond all day, and she's still there. Have a watch. 
here. Cumbria has been one of the worst affected places in the country after getting around 30 centimetres of snow over the weekend, which left uh, dozens of people stranded, having to abandon their cars, sleeping in council buildings, primary schools, parish halls, because they simply couldn't get home. Into today, those freezing conditions are still lingering around, and now we've got, uh, you know, dozens of flood warnings across the country. As you can see, it's sleeting now here and with that brings its own problems because there are fears that those roads could become even more icy than they were before as that snow starts to thaw and then of course as temperatures descend overnight it starts to refreeze and the RAC warning of course all day today something called ice rink Monday for that exact reason. Now residents here in Cumbria many of them have been left without power as we head into tonight and into early tomorrow there are still around 800 people here who are still waiting for their electricity to be restored. Now, Northwest Electricity, their energy provider, says it is working around the clock. It says its engineers are struggling to get to some of those really remote places in order to help them, but they say that they are working 24 hours a day. Of course, here in Cumbria, a major incident was declared over the weekend. Dozens of primary schools have remained closed today. And look, there are flood warnings, as I say, across the country uh, and the warning is that unless your travel is absolutely necessary you should still look to abandon your journey uh, and stay at home fantastic job today she's been in the snow and ice for about 24 hours victoria innes for talk tv and the message is very simple wherever you are in the uk uh, just watch it because it's not great out there uh, listen the news continues more papers on their way is britain on the brink because concerning new figures out today suggested that the uk has now seen 15 years of relative decline and productivity growth is at half the rate of what it is seen in other advanced economies. We're supposed to be the fifth most successful in the world. It's not looking great. It's having an impact on all of us. It's costing the average British worker £10,700 in lost pay growth. And some of Britain's poorest households are now 4,300 quid worse off compared to France and Germany. And forgive me if I just jump in here, but I was told that people were suffering because of energy bills, but because of the war in Ukraine. It doesn't seem to have affected France and Germany as much as the UK, where it is hitting people hard. And, and listen, let's be honest, all of us do whatever we try and do to get through, but there's a lot of people in this country suffering. Our correspondent, Oliver Whitfield-Mirtich, found this out. This is an amazing VT in Grimsby. Have a watch and a listen, my friends. It's in East Marsh where we meet Natalie, who lives in the centre of the estate with her partner and four children. She receives around £2,000 a month in benefits, but as she begins her shopping, with Christmas on the way, She's struggling to make ends meet. I get tight, well, especially this time of year, I get tight on my budget. I make sure all my bills and I do my big shop and then whatever's left, I get little bits, obviously, my Christmas presents and my son's birthday presents, birthday stuff at the moment. I'm not one of these with loads and loads of money, like where you can just spend it every day and just go and do big shoppings. I get quite a few benefits at the moment because I'm classed as one of the boys' um, carers because one of them's disabled. So um, I used that to get my Christmas presents and I've done my shopping online, which is a lot cheaper than in shops. And Natalie isn't alone. Up and down the country, the cost of living has hit homes and families hard, with the price of energy rising by up to 60% in the last two years. And those rises are felt acutely here. 
Single mum Cheryl lives in a property that's covered in black mould and infested with mice, but turning up the heating means less money for her and the kids. It is very difficult. I've got, like I said, four kids, and then I'm trying to keep on top of mould, mice, and condensation windows, because I've got that one, and my bathroom window is the same as well. So it, it is difficult. I've got my heating on all day, every day, because obviously with the condensation, it means the heat's escaping, so my house is colder than what it should be. So I'm paying more on my gas and electric than I should be per week just to keep the house warm, to keep my kids warm. It is, it is very tight, yeah. I mean, I, I make sure my kids have always got what they need, but, yeah, it is definitely... It can be a struggle. It feels awful, you know. I've got good kids coming up to me, you know. We need to sort the mould out in the room again, Mummy, or we've just seen a mouse run across the floor, Mummy, you know. It's, it's not pleasant. Stories like this are sadly nothing new for Grimsby and especially the East Marsh. The area is the most deprived across the whole of northeast Lincolnshire and nearly every street is in the top 1% of deprivation across the country. It's become associated with higher levels of crime, antisocial behaviour and homelessness, something visible all over Grimsby. I want somewhere to live. I want somewhere to go. I want to work. But I'm just finding it hard. How long have you been living on the streets for now? And what's that like? I'm in hell. And that's just about it, really. Many of the big, big towns, not just in the north, the I mean, Grimsby there, the fishing industry finished, people lost their jobs. You think other northern towns were cold, you think south to maybe Cornwall, Red Ruth and Truro, once massive towns, no employment at all. People are really suffering. We can sit here and we can say there's many people who, you know, are perhaps work shy, but there's many people who are struggling. I want to hear from you tonight. If that's your story, if what Ollie has done inspires you, 0344 text to start your message with the word talk. This show, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and talk uh, as itself wants to hear from you. And you can watch that amazing uh, programme, actually, online. Talks uh, YouTube channel. So keep in touch, please. Uh, you're with the Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. And I take great pleasure in telling you at 14 minutes to 10 o'clock that up next, it's squeaky bum time. This takes on a whole new meaning, my friends, because this weekend at the Euro 2024 draw, let me just tell you that the presenters and fans were wincing and laughing at the same time. I am going to go away for but three minutes. You don't want to miss it. The noises are extraordinary. We'll see you in three. Ta. Welcome back. You with the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. And now, my friends, because I can read, it's time for Taking the Mic. Listen, after 20 years, I'm all too familiar with the joys of live TV, and sometimes there things go, always go to plan. I don't know if you saw this, but during the Euro's 2024 draw that was being broadcast on BBC Two, I wouldn't pay the licence fee either, uh, former Manchester City star David Silver was left slightly red-faced whilst picking out the final team in Group A. This says, take a look at it. If you're listening on the radio, have a listen. This is extraordinary. Run, VT! Hundred in the last... Uh... A4. A4 is the position of Switzerland. 
about you, right? I, I don't know about you, but I'm not altogether sure whether I've ever heard any noise like that in my entire life. Extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Are we still playing it? What's going on? Brilliant. Uh, pranksters, apparently pranksters, started playing, well, listen, that sex noise is apparently through the speakers, which echoed around the Hamburg arena in Germany. This is great. They said to me earlier, Jess, Jess, we've got one of the pranksters to come on. We can't get through to him. I guess that's his idea of a prank. Whatever. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It was utterly, utterly extraordinary. These people have got form. They did it on Match of the Day. The guy said, and I quote, well, I just walked into the arena, there weren't many security guards around, put a phone underneath the desk, ow, went off to a hotel a mile away and rang up. It's extraordinary, isn't it? What did you make of it? 344 Loads of you getting in touch. You can text 8722. Uh, listen, look, we're going to go to the court. Are we going to go to the phone lines? Fantastic. It's ages since I did that. Let's talk about Sunak's migration disaster. Let's go to Ludlow. Great race course. Bob, good evening, my friend. You're on talk. How you doing, son? All right, Jeremy, and you? Yeah, not too bad for a balding old has-been. Just here for one night. What do you want to say, pal? You're not as old as me. <laughs> I am. How old are you? 67, Jim. You really are an old git, aren't you? Crack on. We haven't got much time. Go on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wouldn't trust, trust Jeremy... Uh, sorry, trust Rishi <laughs> to make a cup of tea, let alone sort the migration crisis out. I mean, it's, uh, they've, they've had 13 years to get this sorted. and It's all been promises and smoke and mirrors, and that's all it ever will be with them. I think it's really interesting, bud, and, I, and I, I really feel passionate about this. It'll take you 13 years. I, I just don't understand why we can't have a bit more, more honesty from our politicians. To me, it seems like they'll say anything now that might get them re-elected or, or, or starve off too much of a, a bad result. And I think the British public are being cheated, and I'm sick of sound bites. I want facts. I think well, it does the, matter to the British people, don't you? I, I do, and the trouble is that we have no statesmen anymore. No. What we have are these so-called professional career politicians that are only interested in what's being talked about on Twitter, etc. And they're not actually concentrating on the, the country as a whole and government. Couldn't agree more. Bobby, listen, I ain't got much time. Bob in Ludlow, thank you. Let's go to Kevin in Basingstoke. We'll go south. Kev, how are you, my old son? Hello. Hello? Is that it? No, no, no. Um... If we leave the uh, ECHR, the Rwanda deal would still be illegal because we're signed up to other things like the Human Rights Act. And if we was to leave either of these things, the trade deals that we've signed would be none and void. So you're saying that the ECHR would need to stay there because it would what? Look upon us badly or economically it would screw us? What are you saying, my friend? Well, no, I'm just saying if we left them, the Rwanda deal would still be illegal, wouldn't it? I'm not really bothered whether it's illegal or not. I think it's crap. I'm just being completely honest. I want the migration situation sorted out, legal and illegal. I think there's a difference. What I fail to understand is why it's taken as long as it has, because the processing system is rubbish. I think a, a, a politician with any sort of conviction and any sort of oomph about them would stand up to the British people and say, I'm going to do something about this or roll on. Let's go north. My God, we're heading to West Lothian. Uh, John, uh, you're on talk. Thank you for tuning in. Harry and Meghan, go on. you got one and a half minutes, my old son. All right, very quickly. Um, a, I think the author is just a, just a bag of rubbish and should not... Nobody should buy his book. What, Omid Scooby-Doo? Yeah, Scooby-Doo. But the other thing is that who on earth would believe anything that Meghan ever does or says? I mean, she ditched her first husband. She's only, she only latched on to Harry for his status and his money. And as soon as she wasn't becoming the queen of the, the house, 
you know, she, she's created all this problem. And once she doesn't get what she wants, she's clearly going to ditch the poor lad. And bear in mind the trauma that this lad has gone through with his mother dying, having to walk behind the coffin. And, you know, he, he pulled himself together. He went out to Afghanistan. He's done a tremendous amount. Mm. And he's been absolutely ruined by this woman who's interested in one thing, and that's herself and her ego. I couldn't just say, I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. The, the truth of the matter is she's got form. People don't like it. They say, oh, Megan, how nice to work on a station where you, you actually get fired or told off for saying that she's a liar. She's got form. She's done a job on him. I said five years ago, and people laughed at me, he will come back to the United Kingdom with his tail between his legs, leaving her and two kids, and she'll make a fortune. There's some more calls coming up. 03444-419-1000. Text to 8722. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. JK for one night only and coming up in the next hour Keir Starmer faces a massive backlash because he stood up today and went Margaret Thatcher's a legend don't go anywhere we're coming back in three cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back, my friends. It's Monday night. We're live across the UK on tour. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham with me, JK. One night only. We're on your TV, your radio. We're online. We're on your smart speaker, too. And tonight, in the next hour, we're talking about three main things. Uh, Sunak's come up with another crazy idea. The biggest clampdown on legal migration ever is what he calls it. Can they solve this crisis? We want to hear from you. Also, Starmer's got the blues. Today, Dreary Sakir praised Margaret Thatcher, prompting one hell of a backlash from his own party. Plus, you try reading this. The sour Scrooges strike again, this time cancelling Britain's oldest Christmas market. Welcome back, my friends. Uh, you're with me, JK, until 11 o'clock. Before we get into more of the show, the Daily Express headline has just dropped. The graphics there, enough is enough, says the Home Secretary. A skilled worker visa rises to 38 grand. Tougher rules will 
underlined, will slash migration by 300,000. This is Sunak's new message today with James Cleverly. They say, we are going to sort this out. We ran a poll earlier. Can the Tories be trusted to finally sort out migration? You voted in your hundreds and your thousands. Yes, 7%. No, 93%. Mark says, I wouldn't trust a politician, Jez, to make my bed, let alone create any sort of legislation to stop the flow of illegal immigrants. People tell me, the respectable people say, Jez, it isn't possible to sort out. I say, if that's the case, why don't we have politicians who stand in front of us and say, do you know what? We're in the mire. It can't work. Our processing system's a joke. It's going to take 10 years. We need cross-party agreement. I want you guys to understand I'm doing my best. But you won't get that because they're only thinking one thing. I can make a promise, and if it doesn't happen, I can say I was thwarted by anybody and everybody. I'm just interested about being re-elected. That's why this country's on its backside. 0344-419-1000 is the telephone number. Text to 8722. Start your message with the word talk. So much to talk about. Uh, we'll move on, though, to... This is extraordinary. Sir Keir Stein, how desperate is this man to get into 10 Downing Street? Today, he says, Labour will not turn on the spending taps. That's the warning as he set out his economic policy. Should he get into power? He says that unlike, right, in the past, Labour saying, oh, everybody can have everything. He's now saying we're the party of sensible economics. Last week on Breakfast, we did a survey and 11% more people actually are now saying they believe Labour economically more than the Tories. This is the battleground for the next election. And my question to you in the next hour is, however you feel about Labour, right, do you trust them? Do you trust them economically? Do you trust them on the, the, the migrant situation? What do you feel? 03444991000. This was Keir Starmer this afternoon. Have a listen. If we are privileged enough to be elected next year, the quack diagnosis, the search for distractions and excuses, all of that ends. Because the defining purpose of the next Labour government, the mission that stands above all others, will be raising Britain's productivity growth, a goal that for my Labour Party will become an obsession. We see clearly the country before us. But I do want to be clear. It's not the case that any growth will do. We can't be agnostic about the sort of growth we pursue. The growth we need must better serve working people and must raise living standards in every community. Seismic, in my opinion, to discuss this, I'm joined... My God, he's de dedicated. Talk TV's chief political commentator who was with me 14 hours ago, Peter the Legend Cardwell and former advisor to the PM, Tony Blair. John McTiernan, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Pete, I'll start with you. Um, I said this to you this morning on Breakfast. To me, this is a seismic moment. Let's talk about his sort of... I think Thatcher was great. Everybody went, well, he, he complimented Clement Attlee, talked about Tony Blair, not the illegal war in Iraq. But the fact of the matter is, for a Labour leader to publicly salute a woman who is still perceived by many in the North as a divisive character is either the biggest political gamble of his career or well thought out, because I'm thinking he's 20 points in front in most polls. Why the hell would you put yourself in this? Well, it's a very good point, and I think she is, is a divisive character, whether you love or loathe yep. Margaret Thatcher. I love her. No, 
doubt about that. And it was fascinating that he was in the Sunday Telegraph. Mm -hmm. He was also on the same page, directly opposite Bill Cash, one of the most uh, sort of telegraphy kind of MPs talking about stopping the boats. Really, really interesting move, very brave move by Keir Starmer. And he's taken the calculation that there are a lot of people who are clearly very annoyed with the Conservatives. About 20% of people haven't made up their mind yet in terms of how they want to vote. And he's appealing to them. But there are some saying that actually the 40-45% of people who say they're going to vote Labour, well, maybe he should be reassuring them, actually. Maybe he should be focusing on them a bit more than people who are never going to vote for him. John McTinnon, if I can bring you in, uh, uh, past advisor to Tony Blair, it's either the biggest gamble in, in, in the world or it's incredibly calculated. I, I, I'm, I'm interested in your opinion because one of the things that I thought about in the 2019 election was the Labour Party lost. Now, we can talk about Brexit, but I, always, I think the Labour Party got to a point where it expected the North to vote for them. It was always like, oh, well, they'll vote for us. And they didn't. That red wall voted for, for Boris Johnson and that happened. Do you think this is a wise move by Starmer? We'll talk about spending in a minute. Do you think it's a really wise move to stand up and salute a woman who, to many in the North and in the Labour Party, is, well, the devil, to be honest? Look, I understand the tactics, but I do think it was an error. The tactics Can you hear me? You need to Peter's... split the screen, him and Peter. Peter, as Peter said... There are people who Keir believes he should reassure. Uh, the Tories have voted Tory in the past. They've been maybe Labour in the past, uh, but Labour's been defeated four times in a row in elections. So there's a lot of former Labour voters out there. So there's a reassurance move there. But the core fact is, 45% of the country have said they want to vote Labour. Only 25% want to vote Tory. That means there aren't really any swing voters there. You shouldn't really... But we know there are, John, with the greatest respect. There are many, many people who might say well, one thing to a pollster, when the day comes and that cross is, is your moment, you're going to think I'll about... Take, I'll take, I, look, I take, I, I, I take that point, but it's been 45% since the beginning of the year. Yeah, And true. Rishi Spunak is still twice as unpopular as Boris Johnson was when his party chucked him over party gate. So there's something settled in the mind of the public. There's actually polling you, as think... well. Sorry to interrupt you, John, uh, but there is actually polling to support your point. There's polling today showing that Rishi Sunak is actually less popular than Liz Truss, even amongst 2019 Conservative voters. And, and, and you know what that is, right? And th this is a really strong personal mm. opinion. You know, I mean, I, I can't see that much ground between them both. I think they're both boring politicians, if you want me to be honest. But I, I look at Labour. When I think of that survey we did last week on breakfast, 11% more people in this country, right, said they trusted Labour economically. He says today, Labour won't turn on the spending taps. This is a massive thing, because when I was brought up, you were told, and I'm being straight to both of you, you know, Labour Party would promise, you know, pay rises here, there and everywhere. Everybody would go on strike. He's appealing to the very... He's almost parking his tanks on the Tories' lawn, yeah, isn't he? Is. Yes, it he is. Thatcher, spending... And, and, and you have to say, if you look at it, he's not doing it's a successful. bad job, is he? Do you know what no, I mean? Look, I, think, I, think it, I think it is a successful strategy by Keir Starmer, particularly given um, he's turned it around in the last two years because the defeat of 2019 was followed by a pandemic uh, which prevented any politics... Followed by the, the you know furlough where Rishi Sunak gave money to the country. Followed by the vaccine being discovered. Thanks, I think, to you know the government under Boris Johnson investing in all kinds of approaches to finding a vaccine. So an amazing turnaround, and it is because the government have evacuated a whole load of areas of conservatism. 
I can't, you know, you can't imagine... I don't think there are... Well, you know what I'm going to say to you? I don't think it's a Tory government at all. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Whatever your political persuasion, Pete, right, the Tory party has now led the three top jobs, Jeremy Hunt, a Remainer, right? Mm -hmm. David Cameron, that's a bit left-field, isn't it? A man who <laughs> stalked away after, you know, Brexit went wrong. And a Prime Minister who hasn't got a mandate from the British people. I almost don't think it's worth Starmer doing the Thatcher thing. I almost feel like if he kept his trap shut, he could get to 10 Downing Street. But I guess he's working on the assumption that there will forever be people, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, John, to you or anybody else, that go, well, hold on a second, Sakir. Four years ago, five years ago, you were supporting an anti-Semite in, in Jeremy Corbyn and you were saying, I want to serve in his shadow cabinet. So maybe people remember that. Well, it is a remarkable political journey that Sir Keir Starmer yeah. has been on. I think there's probably more unity in the Conservative Party than people think there is. I was okay. talking to someone tonight who was at the One Nation meeting of Conservatives. It happens every week. Is that the big, middle bit? The, yeah, the, sort of the left wing <laughs> of the Conservative Party, basically. <laughs> but they are uh, a, a big, powerful group, of course, uh, not as vocal as many on the right, but certainly their decision and their support for Rishi Sunak on the migration stuff today from uh, the Home Secretary, James Cleverley. Quite a radical change in many regards. Well, they're largely supportive, I was told by someone in that meeting, and that is uh, will be good news for Rishi Sunak, certainly, and perhaps slightly unexpected, because there are many on the right of the party who are saying this is a good thing and this is needed. These were the kind of things that Shiala Braverman wanted to bring in, but this is both political and a massive thing in terms of policy. John, can I ask you, front of the Telegraph, this has just dropped on us, uh, migrant curbs to cut arrivals by a quarter. I'm quite interested. Starmer admits a 28 billion green vow may not be affordable. There he is straight away. I mean, you, the thing about it is, and I'd love to know this from you, you used to advise Blair. Is Starmer by... And I'm not saying flip-flopping, but is he changing opinions on things? Is that a sign, actually, not of weakness, but of a leader who's aware of the difficulties that he's going to inherit. Is he giving himself breathing space, John? Yes, he is. But real politics isn't sticking to your opinion, regardless of the changing circumstances. Real political leadership is showing flexibility, because if you don't bend, you break. And, and Keir's saying the obvious thing, which is that we don't know the state of the economy next year, we don't know the state of the public finances, but we know, for one thing, uh, that, the, that, the, that the budget uh, was going to be based on the autumn statement, which was based on projections of very large-scale migration. Every year, the government has been balancing its budget, getting in more revenue, more growth, because of the, the growth in migration. This proposal to cut it actually cuts the room for manoeuvre of the Tory government next year and for Labour in the future. And... This may unravel. I think Peter may well be right that there and one, one Nation Tories are OK with it. Tim Stanley of The Telegraph has been tweeting that he's quite appalled that the, that the new rules mean that 74% of British people can never marry a foreign person. Never, so you can't marry a foreign man or foreign woman uh, because you need to have a, an income in the top 25% of earning to be able to bring a bride or a husband into the country. That may well run counter to Tory beliefs about families and family values. The idea that only the, the richest people can choose who they but fall you would in love with. You, you would acknowledge, well John, John, you would acknowledge that something needs to be done, although if you if you listen to this station repeatedly, I think there's a feeling amongst a lot of people that... that and, and I said it earlier, that it's politics, it's, it's electioneering, I think that, that, that the I, people are saying things that they know are not achievable. And I'm happy. I'm, I mean, I've been happy with the numbers uh, coming in, in in the last two or three years because 
it shows that Brexit is working, which is that with our controls, we get to choose who comes, and we've been getting real quality people wanting to come to Britain from but around say, the world. But you say that, John, and you must, explain to, to, you must explain to me, because you're an expert. Let me ask you this. You say good quality people, right? What I fail <laughs> to understand, and nobody can explain this to me, is if there's three million people unemployed, and let's not have the old chestnut, they're all disabled and mentally ill, they're not. There are a million people, I suspect, on the dole who could work, given training and help. Why do we not spend the money that we spend on illegal migration and this processing system and millions in hotels, why don't we spend that on training British people from this country to get up and go to work and give something back for them and the country? I don't get that. So the reality is there are a lot of people with long-term health difficulties. There are Not a lot three million, my friend. Not no, three no, no. million. And there, no, but there, there, there are also people who are students in those numbers of, of people who are economic inactive, mothers or, or fathers with children uh, under two. There's all kinds of things in there. But the truth is, our, our economy is made up of ageing people. Yeah. Ageing people need more healthcare, need more social care. They're also less entrepreneurial. So we're bringing in from the world. I'm actually proud that people all around the world want to come and live in this great country. And I found it slightly unconservative the aversion to people coming to live in our country or study in our country and add something to but, our but country. But you would understand when you say unconservative, what I, what I want you to acknowledge, both of you, I'd like to take Pete's opinion on this as well, is, and I'm just, I'm in the middle of this, right? There are people in this country, whether you like it or not, John, and maybe Pete, who are really struggling. Uh, the jams, the just about managing, that pay their bills and just get by. I don't care what anybody tells me on the left. Those people will look at a migration policy, both legal and illegal, that sees the hotel situation, that sees all of this money spent, Peter Carbell, and they will go, hold on a second, I've paid my stamp and I've paid my tax and I'm not getting Jack back and that's why people get frustrated, right? You're absolutely right and I think there are a lot of people who will look at that local hotel down the road, three or four star hotel where migrants are staying and think, well actually hold on, we can only afford to go there once a year for Father's Day or a special birthday or something. These people are there all the time and eating the food and living this life. So fairness is actually how Rishi Sunak yeah. has tried to characterise this. And with today's measures as well, John is absolutely right in terms of bringing people into yeah, the country. Is. It's going to drive up wages, which I think is going to be problematic for inflation. Mm -hmm. But in terms of politically, it is going to bring the numbers down. And that is all that the Conservatives... They've made a calculation here, and that is what they have decided matters at this exact moment. Not the economic side of it. There are a lot of small businesses that will despair with this, and larger businesses that will despair in terms of bringing people in and the thresholds. But in terms of bringing the numbers down, I think it's going to work. But they're wrong it, about the numbers. Why is that, John? You see, they think that, that politically, this is a response. Think about it. This is a December response to November statistics. Mm, yeah. So whatever they do, the next stats will be next November. Yeah. And they're talking about a May or an October election. So it's like, are they actually saying they're going to wait to have the election in December or January 2025? There will There's be estimates before that, though, won't there? Which is like, you're going to say you're going to do these tough things, but actually you're going to make sure you hold the election before the numbers actually come up. So can, I, can I ask you both something? Um, we've made, and, and I think it's right, the acknowledgement that, that Starmer has dragged the Labour Party from where it was under Corbyn. He's appealed to a, a, a certain person and people in the United Kingdom in terms of, I'm not going to spend just for the sake of spending. He was probably stronger. Uh, on Hamas, the terrorist group. He was quicker and stronger than Sunak. And he seems to have stood up 
to the left wing of his party. Um, this story, Pete, from yesterday now, well, yesterday, earlier today, Rail Union Mick Whelan, um, the glitzy party whilst the rest of the United Kingdom is struggling to get a damn train is not. The optics of that were appalling. It was all over the sun. It was a, a glitzy Christmas bash with Labour MPs, the head of Aslef, the, the rail unions out enjoying himself. Yes, everybody can have a Christmas party. Do you believe that amongst a lot of people, the fear about Labour is still there? Or has Starmer done enough for all those people who in the past would have gone, oh, I wouldn't trust Labour. It's going to be worse under Labour. Do you think that's ebbing away, or do you think it's still a major part of this next election? I think it is ebbing away. I think the uh, frustration, mm. the failure is gone. I mean, in 2017, when they had the election, if, God forbid, something had happened like another London Bridge, uh, the question people were asking was, well, do I want Diane Abbott in Cobra making those decisions? Or now it's Yvette Cooper, and most people will probably say, well, Yvette Cooper, OK, may not necessarily agree with her, but she's a very competent person who has a lot of experience. And today, you know, she had a very, very strong response to what James Cleverly had to say. She knows her stuff. She is someone who is a very, very competent person. And there are a lot of people in the, on the Labour front benches like that. We may not know all their names, yeah. but people like Wes Streeting, people like Peter Kyle as well. These are really serious. Yeah, these are serious um, individuals, these are people who yeah. can govern, and people are sort of saying, "Well, hold on a second. Would it be would it be so terrible if, if, if many conservatives are saying, would it be so terrible if Labour took over?" And what is absolutely always the case, and John will know this far better than I will, at the end of 13 years of any government, there's always the sense of itchy feet. Yeah. Maybe we should give the other guys a bit of a go. Year itch. Uh, John, finally, very brief answer if I can, my friend. Um, you were with uh, Blair when he swept to power, and, and I thought that. You know, even that time, and I remember it in 97, there was something charismatic about him. He seemed to transcend, I think, um, different different demographics and, and, and really attracted people that would never have mm. considered Labour. It all went wrong because he took us to an illegal war. But I ask you this, um, is he part of this? Is, is, is Starmer modelling himself on Blair? Is Blair helping out, pulling his, pulling his strings in any way? Quick response to that, my friend. No, he's not. They get on well, they talk, but... Starmer's his own man. Starmer's from the left of the party. I always say this, said this to, to my mum uh, at the end of last year. Keir Starmer is not a player, right? He's from the left like you, mum. And she said, good. Don't need any more people in the party like you, John. <laughs> Interesting. And final question. Will Keir Starmer be Britain's next prime minister, in your opinion, John McTiernan? Absolutely. God help us. I don't mean Be that. decided. The public, the public have moved. Uh, very quickly, thank you indeed, John. A quick response from you, Pete. During our discussion, breaking news, Tory MPs have just voted with Labour to back an amendment to the Victims and Prisoners Bill. It requires the government to establish a body to administer the compensation scheme, in fact, the affected blood scandal. Well, the affected blood scandal is something that's absolutely horrendous. It's gone on for many, many years. Can you just briefly they're... explain what it is? Because they're, they're cheering in the Commons. No, absolutely, and, and so they should. There are many people, a brilliant book about this by Caroline Wheeler, the Sunday Times uh, political editor interviewed her about it recently. So what happened was people got blood transfusions for, through absolutely no fault of their own. There was uh, HIV-infected blood in there in the 80s. People were given the blood. Blood was brought in from America, for example, because there wasn't enough blood to do transfusions, especially for haemophiliacs, people who needed blood every week. And they got these horrible diseases like AIDS and others uh, through absolutely no fault of their own. 
many, many problems for people who already had very severe uh, health problems as well. So this is, they've been wanting compensation for a very, very long time. There's been quite a number of MPs who've been fighting for it as well, including Theresa May, actually, but many others as well. This is a major victory for them. Fantastic. Peter Carwell, John McTiernan, thank you. Just a reminder then, whatever you're doing tonight, that breaking news, the UK government has just lost a vote on a plan to set up a compensation scheme for the victims of the NHS infected blood scandal. More of that coming up. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham in the next 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. They've cancelled Christmas. We'll tell you why. England's oldest Christmas market has been scrapped, plus family banter or maliciousness. Why this harmless bit of banter by ex-footballer Phil Bardsley is dividing opinion online. Keep your thoughts coming. 03444 You text to 87222. It's 20 past 10. We're live across the United Kingdom on Talk TV. We're coming back in three. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. My name's Jeremy Carlin. It's time for this. The World of Work. Cue the music. Brilliant. On the first day of Christmas, Lincoln City Council gave to me health and safety gone mad. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the sour old Scrooges have officially ruined Christmas by cancelling one of England's oldest and most popular Christmas markets. The timing's brilliant. Sorry, that was them, not me. Uh, the four-day event in the centre of Lincoln attracted 320,000 people last year, but this cultural and economic highlight is now a ghost of Christmas past. See what I did? Thanks to council busybodies who would rather say there's no room at the inn than sort the logistics out. Brilliant. So if you live in Lincoln and we're hoping to buy some tinsel, bar humbug, you'll have to make do with some red tape. See, who wrote that? That was the world of woke. The world of work. It's a huge amount, isn't it, to come up with three lines. Honestly, I feel traumatised. Welcome back. It's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. What do you want to talk about tonight, my friends? Uh, 0344 text 287-222. Start your message with the word talk. You might want to talk about Starmer, who's gone blue. I'm not talking about what you might or might not watch online. I'm talking about his apparent love now for Margaret Thatcher. You might talk about Dishy Rishi or Fishy Rishi Sunak's new migration plan. I'm going to sort it out. No, you're not. You're lying. You know you are. Don't be ridiculous. You might talk about the world of woke. You might talk about the papers. We'll do that in just a tick. Uh, but right now, apparently, get this. I don't even know what Gen Z is. What is Gen Z, Beck? Anyone under the age of 27. Not me, then, or you. In fact, not you, <laughs> Sadly not. Only the floor manager. <laughs> Who, by the way, can I just tell you, when I came here to do this show tonight, I said, I said to the floor manager who was a tea boy eight weeks ago. Can you make me a cup of tea? He said, no, I'm the floor manager. Jesus, you get on quickly here. Anyway, <laughs> Gen Z, right? Gen Z are confused and torn over whether Hamas are terrorists or freedom fighters. Don't even start me on that. Back with us to go through these stories and many more. Benedict Spence and the wonderful Rebecca Hudson. How are you, gang? Really good. I'm not wonderful, but, yeah, pretty good. Why not wonderful? Because you said that she was wonderful, but I wasn't. It's well, you're not bit... wonderful. You're she not is there. wonderful. Because I took the moustache off, isn't it? You're taking it personally. Um, Are you going to uh, do it with me next year? I beg your pardon. Are you going to grow a moustache and do Movember with me next uh, year? I, I tried growing a moustache. I've been trying for three years and absolutely not. I'm not very manly, <laughs> to be honest. Um, how's Julia's? I'm joking. Now, let's move on. Um, can I talk about the Gen Z thing? They don't... I mean, I got really, really angry on breakfast the other day with a a Palestinian feminist who said that Hamas are not a terrorist organisation. I think there's a clear dividing line. 
We can have a debate about the humanitarian aid that's needed in Gaza and the horrors of war and, you know, if, if moving people from north to south and then Israel start bombing, there will be huge, huge global questions. But there is no doubt, Rebecca Hudson, that what happened on the 7th of October to Jewish people not only reminded them of the Holocaust, the horrors of six million people dying years ago, it was done by a terrorist organisation. And anybody of Gen Z doesn't know that needs to go back to school. Well, I think, you know, they are a prescribed terrorist organization by this government, by the US, by various other, by the EU. Um, this um, article, this story is really interesting. So it's the result of some polling by More in Common, uh, talking about people's attitudes to the war. And broadly in the UK, we're kind of sympathetic to both sides. But the under 27, so Gen Z, are more likely to support Hamas. And they put Why? It, they put it down to people getting their news off social media and off TikTok. And mm. a few weeks ago, I remember we spoke about the letter to America by Osama bin Laden, which ended up being kind of recirculated mm. on TikTok. And this very same demographic read it for the first time and thought that he was some kind of progressive hero who had these kind of really right on ideas about the environment and, and racial inequality. Yeah. And, so it just shows... And people wonder why at 50, I'm glad I'm not 27. Right. What know... is wrong with these damn people? I mean, all, all I have to say is I'm really glad that social media has fried their ability to pay attention for things for a long time because Mein Kampf is huge. But if they were to get a hold of that in a bite-sized form, they'd probably think it had some pretty nifty ideas as well. At least if they're looking at Hamas propaganda and they're thinking, these guys are the good guys or listening to Osama bin Laden, you can see where it kind of goes. And this is the problem. Do they believe TikTok. it or is it, excuse the pun, it doesn't sure. sound right. Is it just trendy to agree with everybody I think else? a lot of it is to do with it being trendy, but I think we also need to remember that specifically TikTok, TikTok is a propaganda outlet. It is not a benign thing. Uh, it can be used for very benign things. Um, it, you know, there are many good things that come from it, but it can be used and is used to push propaganda on people. And this is a very good example of this. Now, I can't remember where the study was, but there was a study done um, trying to look for, for example, counter arguments yeah. to the mass propaganda from uh, Jewish and Israeli voices and the algorithms specifically suppress it. Now, that tells you that this isn't just something that's happening naturally. It is being done covertly behind the scenes. Somebody has an agenda that says this is the attitude we want to push. Why? Because Israel is in the pro-Western camp and Hamas is not. It is the everybody else, if you like. So it would make a lot of sense why some people who are not pro-West would perhaps be very keen on demonizing Israel, which is what this propaganda does. I said to my daughter the other day, who's at a university in Edinburgh, I said to her, I, I, she disagrees with everything I say and I disagree with it. I actually like that, right? I, I, to me, that's about growing up, that's about having opinions. What I absolutely refute, Bex, and I always will, is that that, that Gen Z generation not only don't want to hear what I have to say, they want to trash everything I was ever brought up to believe in. And my, my view is it should be two-way, right? If I have an opinion, which I'm entitled to, so are you, but don't trash everything I believe yeah, in. You must be stupid to think that. Then what are these people thinking? Come when on. you were a kid, you probably latched on to some kind of slightly rebellious ideas. You know, I didn't I... walk around saying Hamas are not a terrorist group, for God's sake. I was playing marbles and trying to kiss the girl <laughs> at number 13, woman. <laughs> Times change. I think there's an, awful oh, yeah. lot of so I mean, there's an awful lot of social pressure that these young people feel to kind of be seen to be kind of, and I hate the word mm. woke, and I hate, I don't like any of that language, but there's definitely a lot of social yeah. pressure to be seen to be on this side. So but it's I... sheet-like, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And I think someone That's does dangerous. need to go to great lengths to explain that Hamas is probably one of the least progressive organisations in the world yeah, if, you're a, nailed, if you're gay absolutely. or a woman. Or, I, yeah. think, well, I think we also need to remember that there is a great deal of anti-Semitism among many migrant communities. And that yep. is not because they are necessarily bad people. It is because they come from countries where it is taught in the schools to hate Jewish people and to hate Israel. And that this goes back I will decades. stand with my and Jewish friends forever on this. Yeah, and this is something that actually we as a country did not expect. We didn't see coming. And actually we didn't think that we would have to have a de-radicalisation programme in certain schools to say to 
whether the children of migrant families actually know you can't bring that prejudice with you, but we have allowed it in the name of not wanting to offend people coming in there with their own cultural views. Talk it is a disgrace. Talking about how the world... Completely agree. Talking about how the world's gone bonkers. Uh, the word of the year, I was reading... I did this on breakfast. I don't even understand the language anymore, these Gen Z... Is Riz... I thought it was another word. I obviously couldn't hear what he was saying. <laughs> Tom Holland, Superman. Is it Superman or Spider-Man? Anyway, some, sort of, some <laughs> sort of amazing man, like Benedict Knight. He's going to explain it to you, because I ain't got a clue. Riz, Tom, explain, please. Go. I have no Riz whatsoever. I have limited Riz. My brother Paddy has ultimate Riz. I don't know. I need you to fall in love with me, really, for it to work. So, long game, probably making a movie with each other. It definitely helps when the characters you're playing are falling in love with one another. You can sort of blur the lines a little bit. That's kind of where my Riz is at. And I'm, you know, I'm locked up, so I'm happy and in love, so I've got no need for Riz. What the hell is Riz then? I'm in love. Can you I mean, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be rude. The way he's explained it sounds like prostitution. I'm in love and I don't need a bit of Riz. What is Riz? It's charisma, which you both have in so space. So say charisma. Well, it's quicker to say Riz, isn't it? And it's a little bit fizzy and it's a little Obst, bit fun. It's all to say yeah. charisma. Yeah, what totes. What is wrong with... Seriously, oh. don't start this. I mean, what does that Seriously. mean, totes? It's a quicker way of saying totally. But this is the problem, isn't it? It's, it's a quicker way of doing it. It is the, the regression of language. Shakespeare oh, said to be or not to be. He didn't say riz, obs, orcs, whatever. We've it's gone not... from saying, you know, char uh, you know, charisma or something to just having monosyllabic grunt noises. We're going back to the caves. I mean, even, you know, the kids these days, they communicate with emojis. They're basically hieroglyphs. Oh. We've gone back to sort of daubing on the walls different sort of images, and that's how we communicate. That's my view. Everything's going backwards. It's all getting a Spoken little too Spoken as simple. someone with zero riz. Thank you but, so but much. What, I'm you very said proud. he had lots no, of no, I... charisma. But don't you think it's... In... Do you think it's <laughs> the symptomatic of what is wrong with this country? <laughs> no, now, not at all. It's in the beauty of the English language that it evolves all the time. I think it's, it's really evolving. Fun. It's being shortened by a I bunch think... of uneducated idiots who need to work hard. No, it captures that magical thing that someone has, that charm, that allure. You, this interaction, it, it's a wonderful word. It's almost onomatopoeic. Ev evolution, nice e evolution goes two ways. The successful stuff survives and the less successful yeah. stuff, it dies. Tom now, Collins, any, right. Anybody who thought this show was thrown together is actually true. <laughs> uh, because we're going to go on with languages. GCSE pupils are not choosing... Uh, to study foreign languages because they do not think it will help them in their career, according to a new report. Well, you know what I think of the French. Give me my 500 million back. <laughs> do, you speak, do you speak any languages? No, I don't. I got the lowest ever recorded... I mean, I did O-levels <laughs> on that. Old. I got the lowest ever recorded percentage in my school's history in French. Oh. I think this is a, a grave shame. Do you think people but... need to learn foreign Yeah, language? I think they really, really do. I think it, it, this impacts our GDP, impacts your earning potential. We are, you know... This but they all come like... here because of our language, so why do I need to learn any other languages? Uh, this is actually well... something that affects our national security, which is that we don't actually have enough people working in the security services who speak Mandarin, uh, Russian, uh, Farsi, Arabic, these kind of key languages. You speak language? Parlo un po' di italiano. Ma that's about it. I got kicked out of my German oral exam because I just pointed at the ceiling and shouted, Achtung Spitfire. I got in a lot of trouble for that. I, got, um, I, I thought got that was very funny. Because I said we all over the floor. Because I know what French... I, honestly, I don't... But I, I mean, I will say one thing, though, which is the other side of the coin, which is that if you think about anywhere you go in the world and people can speak English, I do sometimes get embarrassed and say, your English is really good. And, and actually, if I went to many countries, I couldn't speak their language. I, I think that's a relevant point. Except yeah. France. Except France, where even though you know they speak English, they choose not to. Yes. They understand what you bon say. And they, whatever, and they respond to you in Le French. petit déjeuner. I do quite ad admire the, the sort of the arrogance of it. It's just, yes, I understand exactly what you said, but I am not going to respond I'm going to make you work. You admire the arrogance of the French. I do. I have a, a certain je ne sais quoi about, about do you the French. Think the French have Riz. 
Absolutely. Oh, I yeah. mean, come on. Most of them. <laughs> Macron. Um, I did a lot of this on breakfast this morning, the BBC licence fee. I'm sorry, I've, I've obviously arrived here tonight with an agenda. I haven't at all, but the licence fee. Mm. Here's, here's a, a generally mm. balanced view, which is that we all work in the commercial sector, so I suppose you'd say this. Um, if I have a television, I'm supposed to pay £170, and potentially it could go up by 9%, I don't know. Um, even if I don't want to watch the tripe that's on the BBC. I think it's disgusting, and I think we will get to a point in terms of media across the UK where people will go, there'll be a screen and you buy and you pick and that's the way it is. I think it's, I think it's out of date. I really do. I think that there is an argument for some of the news gathering stuff, which actually is fantastic. And it's not just is to do... Fantastic well, this is fantastic or Well, this is the problem. It's not just to do with domestic consumption. Actually, broadly, internationally speaking, the BBC is a fantastic tool of soft power because in many parts of the world where everything is just propaganda, it's state propaganda, the BBC offers a lifeline to a lot of people yeah. who actually do get they're serious, unbiased. They don't get it from US television, they get it from the BBC. And this is one of the things that really irritates me about the license fee is when we talk about cutting it, they don't cut the rubbish that none of us actually want to watch and don't want to pay for. They cut the foreign languages services, they cut the news stuff first. And it is the nonsense that if it was actually any good, you know, the entertainment, if it was any good, they would say, yes, commercialize it, let it compete with Netflix. It's never that stuff. Is it out of date, though, the BBC, Bex? I mean, is it, is it time? Is it, I mean, I'm sure there are good parts of it, I'll give you that, but it's become this organization that is looked upon as this huge, huge sort of left-wing money-consumed operation that, that isn't giving... On, on, actually, let's get away from the products. Value for money. And in fact, you're having to pay for something that you might not even want. That doesn't seem fair. Well, I think absolutely, like, the pressure is on the BBC. I mean, we saw the big changes they've made to Newsnight. We've seen what they're doing with the one o'clock news. Like, they are trying to kind of compete and to meet mm. audience needs. So I think they are slowly getting there. I appreciate it does feel like a very unwieldy beat, especially when you're someone that tries to make money out of news and then you look kind of very enviously over at our colleagues at the mm. BBC who are kind of, you know, un not, it's not under any of the kind of market pressures that the rest of us are. Um, but, you know, we've just spoken about the importance of kind of, you know, education... People, people having access to unbiased fair news with the Hamas Gen Z stuff. So, yes. you know, degrading and eroding into our kind of national broadcaster, who by and large do do a very good job and have had a tough time during this conflict in the Middle East. I think, you know, I don't a think it's... A tough time, because they wouldn't call the Hamas terrorists. But is it their job to prescribe who and is, who is and isn't a terrorist organisation? Like, I, did think that that was, I did think that was a very low moment, where actually it was low-hanging fruit that they could have... Everybody accepts that Hamas is a terrorist organisation, unless you're under the age of 30, apparently. And they didn't say it. They say some people say... It was a very got, easy I, moment. I got the distinct it. impression that that's an example of the BBC, a bit like we intimated that Gen Z will follow each other mm. sheep-like. Yeah. The BBC, to me, has got to a point where it seems to want to do the right thing rather than actually follow its guts. Do you know what I mean by that? I, I think I do. I think it's a little... I do think Tick it's very... A box. Yes, I think, I think that there's a lot of that that goes on. And I think that's because there are great swaves of the BBC that is out of touch with the and, rest and, of the and, country. And, and can I just say, Holly, uh, who's producing the show tonight, the editor, who's in a new relationship, not that we'll talk about that, that's what, in my ear, she just said, that's why I left the BBC. I think that's a very relevant point. Um, this has caused consternation today, and I don't know why I'm asking you to, because you haven't got kids. You're not in a relationship, and you ain't... I mean, you haven't got kids, have you at all? Why am I asking you this? Ex, Ex uh, <laughs> a Man United player, Phil Bardsley. Uh, I used to put Tabasco in my kids' mouths when they swore or were rude. Um, there's a video filmed uh, cleaning his son's mouth out with soap after the kids swore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pants out, that'll do. Come here. Come here, kid. I'd just like to point out the kid is laughing. Uh, he is kneeling on his head there, which is looking great. Um, uh, outrage online, before you two respond, um, 
we said, do you think parents go too hard on their kids? Yes, 15%. No, 85%. <laughs> Shelley, I had my mouth washed out after calling my mother a bee. Never again, I learnt my lesson. Ed, that's child abuse. Yeah. Right? Uh, Molly, he's teaching his son disciplines. Kids have it way too lightly, these dudes. Matt, I know he's doing the right thing. Parents are not their kids' friends. Parents must instill morals into their children. If you can't... Touch, if your child touches a hot cookie, you slap their hand. I tasted soap as a kid, said Peter, for the very same thing. El Elsa, exactly what my mum just used to do to me. This current, spoiled, young, vile generation need it more than ever and some. And finally, Sam, my dad never had to do anything like that. He just spoke to me like a normal person after he caught me sticking two fingers up and taught me the value of respect. Rebecca Hudson, what are your views? The video made me feel really uncomfortable watching it. Kind of whether the kid is laughing or not, I just thought it felt incredibly excessive for it to pin a child to the floor and joke all not about pouring shampoo in the mouth, especially because that kind of cruelty and abuse does happen up and down this country day in, day out. So I found it really not very nice to look at. And I think your final, the final comment there is, is kind of, you know, the perfect way of parenting. Like you don't, you shouldn't have to kind of violently assault your kids or terrify your kids we, into good behaviour. We had the soup look from Granny, who's obviously dead, and both my parents are, don't, don't worry about it, it's fine. Um, we had the soup look, and I, and I go with that last one. I'm not going to... Do you know what my thing is? Why have you put that on social media? That was, that was my... I, I, it's almost yeah. like that to me is, I'm going to put it on social media and I'm going to make a big thing about it. I mean, I'm mm. sure that... I mean, I, I'm with you. The most abhorrent thing in my life is people who abuse kids. Mm -hmm. I can't, I've got six of them soon. And and and, it, and I would sorry I don't like people like that so I'd string them up. But why put it on there? You can discipline your kids. Of course, everybody mm. disciplines their kids, and there isn't a parent in the world who hasn't mm. had a moment. Where they go, what am I going to do with you? Right? But 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 mm. we had the soup look from my mother. She just had to look, and you quaked, man. You didn't do anything. Yeah, I I have a problem when it uh, it is celebrities using children as a social media mm. prop, and that is effectively what they are. And the, the children actually you know, can't necessarily consent to that. It's the key thing. No. But. When it comes to disciplining children, I don't really have a problem with corporal punishment when it is used very sparingly. And actually, I think it is at the discretion of the parent. Obviously, none of us want it to get into a sort of an abusive situation. No. But in most cases, it doesn't. It is actually relatively quite rare. We want to avoid that sort of thing. That didn't look particularly abusive in that sort of sense. I do think it's an abuse of the child's um, uh, trust, if you like, though, to use it on social media. But I think ultimately, I think, I think, most parents I... are good judges of what their children need. Completely agree. Just gone 20 to 11. Monday night, we're live across the UK. This is talk. Do not go anywhere. You are earning your money. We're coming back. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. And coming up, my panel is sticking here as we go through the front pages that have dropped. All the main stories making the headlines. Tomorrow, we're coming back in three. Don't go anywhere. This is Talk. Uh, welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. You've been very kind to have me. Only 15 minutes more. Rebecca and Benedict still here earning their dosh. What do you make of uh, whatever's come off on the show tonight? 0344 text to Tomorrow's paper's a little bit late, quarter to 11. Uh, guys, the Daily Telegraph leading migrant curbs to cut arrivals by a quarter. This was the five-point announcement by uh, Star... Not Starmer, by Sunak earlier. Uh, is it possible? What do you make of the headline? Um, I think it's it's obviously very ambitious, but you have to set it against the broader backdrop. It sounds like a lot, cut it by a quarter. 300,000 sounds, sounds like a lot. It still means there are hundreds of thousands of people that will be coming in when every Tory administration that sought re-election has promised to get it down to the tens. The fact that we're aiming to get it down from 1.2 million gross to about 800,000, 700,000 gross 
it's a shocking set of affairs that we've allowed it to get to this mm. thing. And I don't think people are going to be fooled. They know on whose watch this has happened. They can't blame it on the Labour Party. No matter they think that the Labour Party might invite more people in, ultimately, that's what it comes down to. It's happened on these people's watch. Uh, this is far more your bag. Uh, it's a little <laughs> writing, so I can't possibly read it. Uh, Spanish Queen's Affair, exposed in royal book, also on the front of the Telegraph. I'm not putting my glasses on. Rebecca Hudson, you're doing this one. These royal books are causing quite the headache this week, aren't they? So this is Queen... Where was this published? In Holland? <laughs> Yeah, Holland is it's the home of free speech, it. isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, the, is a... Do you know which country has the lowest incidence of uh, teenage pregnancies in the Western world? It's is a... it? It's Holland because it of their Holland? openness about sex education. Oh. Thought I'd drop a completely irrelevant point in. But anyway, the, Spain, <laughs> the Spanish Queen's been at it. She, she really has. Dirty Mary, what's she been up to? Well, Queen Tizia, who is one of the world's most beautiful monarchs, I think we should say, really? um, it's been revealed in this new book that she had an affair at the beginning of her marriage with, um, with King Felipe, who is also an incredibly handsome monarch. Um, she had an affair with him or she had an affair with him? No, not with, because they were married. She had an affair with someone else. Um, like being and married to the together. king and thinking it'd be all right to go and have something. With That's ridiculous. Plot twist, and the ridiculous. bloke she had the affair with married her sister. This is proper old school kind of royal interest. I don't want to. I don't want to put. I, I'm going to share a story with you guys that Please. I shared on breakfast this morning because the royal intrigue. So mm. I went to Ronan Keating's Ivy and Emeralds Ball on Saturday night with Mrs. Carl, who's heavily pregnant. Last time she'll be out for two years, to be honest. Anyway, about to leave at two thirty in the morning. Went outside for a roll up. Not that I smoke. Well, I do. Anyway, so came back in, and this person, and there's a relevance to the story. Went, Jeremy Kyle, and I sort of went. Oh, it was about five hundred people there. Came running across the room, threw her arms around me, and said, "You could sort my family out." Sarah Ferguson. Come for tea in Windsor. I thought I'm not coming for tea in Windsor. You live with them anyway. Never mind. <laughs> I, honestly, true story. I think these rules are all dodgy. They are a bit. Aren't they? I think they're all very different. With everybody else, very different moral compass. But yeah, so these these books this year for kind of big revelations. It's it's all they're all in these. Uh, can we go to the front of the mirror, please? Uh, newspaper. Uh, it says, I don't really want it to really. Farage makes you kip. <laughs> like that, yeah. Uh, I'm a celeb insider's brand, no personally politician, a waste of money. Allegedly, 1.5 million. Can you imagine being offered 1.5 million to go to the jungle and turning it down? <coughs> <laughs> what did you make of what did you make of this heart? I don't personally give a damn. I'll tell you what I want to talk about about Farage. Rishi Sunak's that desperate. He said, we're a broad church of the Tory party. Ah, it, implying what, that Farage is going to join and could be the leader? I think Farage has played a bit of a blinder here. He's gone on, he's gone on to I'm a Celebrity, which is a rival uh, television station, the one he's usually on. He's been paid a huge amount of money and he's come across not looking like a complete lunatic. He's come across actually looking one of the saner people, which is why they're saying that he's boring. They're obviously expecting a bit more drama. Actually, he's done quite well. And amidst all of this, you've got his party, uh, Reform, doing quite well in the polls. He will be Which absolutely party? laughing. Exactly. Uh, Reform, 11%. Apparently 11% of voters have heard of it and they quite like it. But 11%. Do you think, do you honestly think, Rebecca, that Reform has any... I mean, it, uh, no. No. I, I was thinking on the day okay. of the election, people go, oh, well, Tory or Labour. That's what happens, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. I'm yeah. yeah, whether we like it or not, but thank God that they don't vote for Reform. I think this is... I think Farage has come across as aggressive and ugly. I think bullying that young girl, Nella Rose... I think it's been really unfair. Oh, she's a she's a kid. She knows no better. He was just goading her. We all know he's desperate for airtime. Thank God he's not getting it. I think just she both, accused him of being Frankie a racist. Just, and then when he said, "Where's your evidence?" She just went internet. Frankie yeah. Dettori was better telly. They should have kept him. How it. did I think Frankie Dettori? I don't. Yeah, I yeah. even sound like I give a damn. But you'd rather hang out with Frankie Dettori than Nigel Farage. I know Frankie Dettori yeah. very well. Came I've never met Nigel well. Farage and I've no desire to do so. No. Uh, ten minutes to eleven. This is Jeremy Curl on the Independent Republic <laughs> of Mike Graham. Can we go to the front of the Sun, the best paper in the world? Access denied. Plan a slash influx by three 
100,000. Have you got the front of the sun? It, I'll hold it up if you haven't got that. Just zoom in on that for gold's sake. Access denied. What's going on with this show? Uh, Planter slash influx by 300k. PM to the sun. Enough is enough. This is all about Dishy Rishi's new plan. Five-point plan, but I only understand three of them. He says he's going to slash immigration by 300,000. Does he set a time scale on this? I mean, presumably before the next election, which could be any day now. It, you know, it depends when he actually wants it to be, but about 12 to 18 months. But the key thing here is, of course, that political party that none of us have heard about that is polling relatively well, if they were able to actually see this through and get those immigration numbers down, that ends up just going straight to the Tories because those people are only voting for that party because they are fed up predominantly about the Tories' record uh, on immigration. I suspect actually a lot of people who have gone over to the Labour Party in the former red wall seats feel the same way. That is the route back into the election campaign. I don't think they can win it, but to make it just look a little bit more respectable, if they manage to get those numbers down and if they can show people, look, it was 1.2 million, we've got it down I by 300,000. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think the British... I don't think, I don't they think can win the it. British people... I don't think they can win it, no, but, but I, I do think that I they think can win people back. I thought you made a salient point earlier. Yeah. And, and I'm no supporter of... I, 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 I don't... I, you know, anyway, whatever. Um, I just think it's gone too far. I think 13 years... I think there's a... It's a bit like a marriage, isn't mm. it? Uh, well, 13 is quite a long time to get through, but it's sometimes like a marriage, sometimes like a job, sometimes like a, I don't know, a friendship. Sometimes you just get the feeling it's over. Yes, 100%. Would, you, would, that, would that be fair? You can't, you can't have emergency it. policies about your own policy. Like, this all, this scrabbling around to fix this problem, which is a problem of their own making, and very little provision for our social care or NHS industry, which, all ref, which relies on uh, immigration. Eleanor Hayward, health correspondent, Times at page four, 400 quid to quit smoking. What's that all about? Do we know what that is about? I don't think we do. Oh, I, brilliant. I, I, I okay. That story. No, you haven't got that story? No, where is it? Have you got it there? Where is that story? I've, I've got actually absolutely got no idea. Page four no... of the times, I've got two and three. I haven't got four. So, so... Nearly two million kids are growing up in homes with smokers and experts want more to be done to help uh, new parents and pregnant women quit. Uh, basically, 400 quid. Is it in vouchers? What is it? Is it, is it cash? Yeah, no I, think it, I think it's vouchers, and I think, it, yes, yeah, to, dis to discourage pregnant women from smoking during pregnancy with the idea that then that becomes a habit that you develop after What do you think about... Right, this what, is, what I, I mean, I have the occasional cigarette, so I'm, I'm a bit hypocritical. What do you think about pregnant women who think it's OK to have a cigarette? It's an addiction, isn't it? So I don't, I, I, like, I, I don't think many women would want to smoke knowing that it has an impact on their unborn baby. But I also think if you're an addict to it, I think probably it's easier. It's very easy for me to sit here and say that there's a problem. But I think schemes like this are, are great. You know, a proper incentive scheme to, to get to educate young women or women in general about the damage it can do. And then hopefully, you know, you form a whole new habit that doesn't involve smoking. I think it's great. I don't want to, we don't want to, like, have a go at pregnant women. I think it's tough enough as it is. And... You know, Maybe I'm being harsh, but it's I think... It's quite tough for the man as well. My wife's pregnant. I get earache the whole time. I, I think it's about the women, I'm isn't sure, it? Yeah, I'm sure I'll be honest. Exhausting for you. Maybe I sound yeah. a bit harsh, but I think if the biological imperative to look after your unborn child isn't greater than your addiction to a cigarette, then actually I think you've got some okay, real well, when you get preggy, you can let me know. I will, oh, because oh, apparently, apparently you can let do that. You can't <laughs> even say pregnant <laughs> in the crazy world. You're <laughs> preggy. None. You know what? I, you understand what I meant, though, Front of the eye is something that gets my goat. Pollute if you want to. Toothless sewage watchdog fails to to visit 90% of toxic spills. I'm going to nail this. I think these water companies are a disgrace. I think the chief executives are a disgrace. I think sewage is a disgrace. These, these companies should be fined 
hundreds of millions of pounds. I I'm not an environmentalist in any which way, but that's a joke, isn't it, the sewage I problem mean, in this yeah, country? They, they, they failed to visit 90% of the spills, and on, on that I have some sympathy. I don't want to visit the toxic spills either, but they are getting paid to do this, so one would at least you hope... You try going is, in the toilet here on a... I know, it is disastrous. I wonder disastrous. who that was. Um, it's, I have to say, though, it is one of those kind of basic things. The average British person is not a raving environmentalist, but they are an environmentalist of sorts. They would like their country to not be polluted, to be reasonably, you know, pretty, to be safe. This is the sort of the basic thing that you would expect from an environmental watchdog. Not turning up to nine in ten spills, that's disgraceful. How can they justify it? It's a total embarrassment. It's, it, I mean, it's absolutely horrendous. The idea that you could, you know, want to go paddling, take your kids to a beach, and that you could be swimming in sewage is absolutely revolting. And the dereliction of their responsibility, I think you're right, then they should be fined hundreds of millions of pounds, and we need to have a whole rethink about how we, you know, monitor and keep our water clean. I mean, it's the most basic thing in the world, and we are failing to legislate it properly. We've agreed on something. Uh, I, I, Daily Star, really? All right, I'm dragging the depths. A nasty case of the asteroids. Brilliant headline. Yeah. Uh, NASA boffins and boffinesses. They have to do that because that's politically correct. Are monitoring uh, up to 20,000 asteroids which have the potential to destroy the Earth. We could be sitting here trying to do this show, a vain attempt at a television show, I guarantee you, and an asteroid could in fact come at any second and destroy the news building. How do we feel? It's just the last thing we need, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's the so sweet asteroid. We've, so We've sort out the sewage problem, <laughs> the sweet <laughs> asteroid yeah. problem. It's sort out the Ukraine oh war. Everything will be fine on the West Bank. Let's <laughs> get an asteroid and blow up the world. Come, right? it, sweet, a sweet asteroid of death, come and liberate us from all I of guess these troubles. We'd call it an Azzy, though, wouldn't you? Not an asteroid. An Azzy. Oh, my word. Yeah, isn't that a cooler, quicker way of saying with a, with a With a minute so to young. go uh, on I'm tonight's so vain attempt at a television show, I want to thank you both enormously. Um, very quickly, just to recap, and I just want to go back to Starmer. When I started breakfast this morning, everybody was going, oh, my God, he's quoted Thatcher. <laughs> 14 hours or however many hours have passed. Yeah. Is he that secure and that sure of winning that, he ta that he's taken a, t a calculated risk or could it be his undoing? I, I think he's that secure, frankly. Do you? I think, I think that the Tories are that useless that there's no way that they can claw it back. There are the p potentials to do so, but also, you know, the the president of Argentina, Javier Millet, you know, he came out and he said that he With thought a Thatcher. Yeah, he thought he said he thought Thatcher was a great leader, and he won in Argentina. So why not here in the working class communities of Britain if it can happen in Argentina? Uh, Rebecca Hudson, you've been amazing. What's your final twenty second comment? No, I agree. I think he's totally safe. I think the best the government can do is what we've seen today. I think you know it will take more than you know writing about Margaret Thatcher to derail Keir Starmer. However, I do think he got far more backlash from his backbenchers and the party than he probably expected. To Benedict Spence, Rebecca Hudson, a massive thank you and thank you for watching. That's all you have time for tonight. Uh, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham back here tomorrow at uh, 9 o'clock. He's on a plane from America right now. You don't have to worry. He'll be back tomorrow night. Keep it talk uh, for... Well, just keep it talk. Don't wave your hands at me. I know how to count. He's going, it's 10 seconds, Jez. Thank you so much indeed for watching. If you did, if you didn't, where have you been? I'm finally, after 14 hours, going home because I live there. Ta-ra, see you soon, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.